Hi, I'm Erica Darvis. Hi, I'm Amy Randolph. And you're listening to Podcast Rewind. We are two best friends talking hot topics and all of the podcasts that we're totally obsessed with. So come please be our friend on social media. You can find us at Podcast RWD on Instagram and Twitter, and then head over to Facebook and search Podcast Rewind. You can listen to our show wherever you're already listening to your favorite podcasts. Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever that is, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe because we need your stars to keep this show going. Cheers. Cheers. Let's talk podcasts. Rewinders, welcome to episode 70 of Podcast Rewind. I'm Amy Randolph, one of your hosts, sitting with Erica Jarvis, my roomie, best friend, and co-host. Oh, what? That's me. Thank you so much for that lovely intro, Amy. I'm going to start to have you add layers into it, like gift whisperer, former blonde turned redhead. (laughs) Just like every week we'll layer in adjectives about ourselves. I think that's that word right? Adjectives? Temporary redhead would really be a better descriptor. We're also glasses girls tonight. I'm furious about it. You look great in your glasses. Stop, thanks. I know you're welcome. No, I don't mind how I look in glasses. Yeah, you're very cute. Thank you. But it's just, I feel gross in glasses. I think it stems from like getting them when I was in fourth grade. I know you got them really young too. And it's just like, you haven't lived until you've run the mile in middle school in glasses. Yeah. I was going to (laughs) say, do you mean gross like a dork, like Josie Grossy? Or do you mean gross like there's just something on On my my face? face. Yes. (laughs) It's just just there on my face and my my pores are getting clogged from the nose pads. And I can't see like my peripheral isn't perfect. And like when you go downstairs in glasses, it is like vertigo. All of a sudden I'm like, (gasps) yeah, I don't trust myself. And so I clearly threw in a contact this morning that had a little fuzz on it and was like, Mm -hmm. you're fine. And at a meeting at like three 4 o'clock, I was like, if I don't take this contact out, (laughs) I'm not going to be able to see tomorrow morning. So girl, I am having like, this is probably not crazy interesting, but I'm going through the ringer with my eye doctor yeah. trying to find a pair of contacts that work because basically I realized I'm not seeing as well as people around me. <laughs> you like, guys, it's so funny when it was like, can you read that sign? And we're all like, yes. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but are you squinting <laughs> or can you legit read that sign? And people around me are like, we can see the sign. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, so I went and told my eye doctor, like, turns out I don't see as well as literally everybody around me. So we've been trying these different contacts and I've got a pair of just bogus ones right now. Like, this is this is not the deal. This is not the fix. I so I actually that. did put in contacts and go to work this morning. And a, less than an hour in was like, nerp. And I was smart enough to bring my glasses yes. with. So I changed into glasses. And, I mean, I have worn my glasses to work more than literally ever in my life. Oh, except for the time that I scratched yeah, my eyeball. Done that before. And I had to wear glasses for like two weeks. But other than that, I'm involuntary wearing glasses. People think I'm some weird hipster asshole now. Right. I'm sure of it. Uh-huh. They don't say so. They kind of say they like my glasses. That's nice of that. It is nice of that. But yeah, I mean, we're both Warby Parker girls. If Warby wants to give us any kind of shout out, we will most certainly take whatever we, we can get. We're the whores like that. 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, what's I going to say about glasses? I guess I forgot it. Um, <laughs> that they make you see stuff. They do make you see stuff. It is really quite nice. Um, oh, I had to wear glasses for like two weeks in college. They were clearly old, like not up to prescription. And that's what people who don't wear glasses don't understand. Mm-hmm. That like the glasses I have on right now are two-year-old prescription. I could make it through a day or two, but after a while, I would be over it. Oh, you get headaches I when you can't see right. I gave myself pink eye in college. Ew. Yeah, I was taken out of contact and it snapped back on my eye oh, and yeah. cut it, and it just was like not real pink eye. Do you know what I mean? But like I looked a mess, and I had to find an eye doctor in State College, Pennsylvania, where like my eye doctor is like back in Pittsburgh. My parents were in Puerto Rico. I called them oh, and I was yeah. like, I need to figure this out. Dad's like, you're costing me minutes because we had minutes back then that we cared about. <laughs> you're costing me minutes with your pink eye. I was like, I can't see. It hurts. I can't open my eye. Do you remember the time? I hate wearing glasses. Well, do you remember the time that I got legit pink eye one time? I was like, stay on your side of the apartment. Well, (laughs) I didn't go to work that morning because I realized there was something wrong with my eye. And I went to the doctor and they're like, yeah, that's pink eye. I got the drugs and the drops. And I went back home and I sent you a text message that said... 
whose roommate has pink eyes? <laughs> and you were like, fuck you. <laughs> you were like, you scrub everything twice. Please. You didn't get it. I didn't get it, thankfully. Um, but you know what? What? I did get something today. What's that? Alcohol. Yay! So, Amy, I think it's time for... Ooh, trick of the week. God, you guys don't even understand how good that made me feel, that sound. Erica really cannot continue with this show unless there is a, like, satisfying clink of the glasses. Oh, my God. At the top of That's why of I'm the week. a repeat high-fiver. <laughs> if it's not a solid high-five. No, legit, I'll do that again, too. Like, ah, yeah, that was I a didn't feel week. right, yeah. That was a high three at best. High three at best. Um, but I did my favorite thing Today, Mm -hmm. which is to go to Publix and buy solo beers. So instead of throwing down for a six-pack of beer, I will purchase myself two single individual beers. So tonight I am drinking Peroni, an Italian little favorite. It sure is. You know, I think I've said it on the show before, but I worked at Olive Garden back in the day. And (laughs) it's my favorite thing to get drunk and be like, tell me about Olive Garden. How many onions do you put in a salad? Peroni was like our house beer. And I was like, we're such jokesters around here. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're fakers. Oh, I know. I mean, I don't know what any of these words are other than Peroni. I don't, the only where place I know to get it now is in Italy at Epcot. (laughs) Or or the Olive Garden. Or the Olive Garden, if I'm being honest. I'm being honest about it. Amy, what you drink? I bought a a new beer that I'd never seen before, and I can only describe it as beer for chicks. Chick beer. Chick beer. So it's from Goose Island Beer Company, who makes like an an okay IPA that I've had plenty of times, and it's like never my favorite. It's kind of like in a pinch. It's fine. But this is a beer called SBF, and it's an ale with passion fruit flavor. So like I said, total girl beer. And this can is like this... I mean, rose pink. Millennial pink. Millennial pink, rosé looking can. No dude worth his salt is ever drinking out of this can. No. But I do have to say, Goose Island is really stepping up their um, marketing. The, oh my God, I will just, I was going to say, like, these cans are so slick. You had this last night and gave me a sip of it, and you were like, it's made with grapefruit. And I was like, this is disgusting grapefruit beer. Oh, because it's, it's passion, passion fruit. fruit. <laughs> my bad. My bad, y'all. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying your passion. Now that I know it's passion fruit, I could give it another go, but it, I was like, it's like a weird... <laughs> something wrong with your grapefruit. <laughs> Such a weird grapefruit. <laughs> I'm surprised you're drinking that. Why? Passion fruit. I like passion fruit. You're okay with passion fruit. Yes. So Amy has a thing about Hawaiian fruits. <laughs> yeah, but I Hawaiian think, food. I think of uh, passion fruit as more of a Caribbean. Am I wrong? Is that Hawaiian? Um, you know, I don't... It's island. But I it's do, definitely not exclusive to I hear Hawaii. what you're saying, though. I do have a problem with a lot of tropical fruits, like pineapple, get the fuck out of my face. Mango, maybe if you're mixed with, like, a strawberry situation. I love the mango salsa. I just, mm, no. Mango pineapple salsa? Not mine. Fuck me up. I've always been happy with the passion fruit, though. To be honest, I'm not sure I've actually ever eaten a true passion fruit, but you can flavor my beer with it, and I'm gonna be okay. Oh, well, I watch a lot of baking shows, so I can talk to you about what passion fruit later. You know, if anybody's interested in what passion fruit looks like, you know, Googs it. Yeah, don't ask Erica, just Google no, it. Yeah. Um, all right, I think that speaking of passion. Yes. And I'd be like, why are you so obsessed with me? It's time for Obsessions of the Week. Ooh. I think maybe we should stop real quick at the top of yeah. Obsessions and mention that this is a day of memory and mourning in Orlando. Yeah, June 12th is quite a day here for us. Uh, Three years ago, the Pulse nightclub shooting happened, and it really was something you can't put into words. And it continues to be one of those things. And every year, we want to make sure that we remember the 49, those who were affected, all of our first responders, and most importantly, rally around the way this city came together in the most beautiful way mm-hmm. and banded together to make sure love over hate. Yep. This city will never let hate win. We continue to show that. I took part this weekend in the community yeah. rainbow run, which was a 4.9K yep. instead of a 5K um, for our 49 fallen angels. Um, I love how we we don't talk about victims in no. this city. We call them our angels. Yeah. And uh, we will just, we'll never, ever forget them. And this day is always important. I remember June 12, 2016, the way I remember September 11, 2001. 
that specifically do I remember it? And I think I always will. Yeah. So wherever you are, remember hashtag Orlando strong. And like Amy said, they are angels looking over us. And once again, this year, they provided a beautiful rainbow over the city and over pulse nightclub at sunset. And it's just so amazing. Yep. But yeah, just out of tragedy comes, you know, beauty in its way and togetherness and love and, we will never, ever let hate win here. Nope. So moving on, E, tell me what you're obsessed with this week. Guys, this is going to be a bit of a departure, my obsession of the week. Are we going to lift it back up? We're going to lift it back up because this really happened to me secondarily. Okay. So Saturday, we had plans with our friend Rachel and Meredith. It was National Best Friend Day. It was, and we double dated we with did another best set. Friend double date. It, it was, was so cute. So cute. Oh it my was God, we should so put a picture on our fun. They were, they're just fucking professional drinkers. That's what they are most First Those girls and foremost, the drinkers. I have done many a shows hungover after I've hung out with them. <laughs> but we're on our way. I had a great little morning. I did a mani petty, getting ready. Amy goes and gets hers. We're on our way to our little best friend double date. And as I am merging onto one of the worst parts of I-4 traffic. Interstate 4 is the deadliest uh, state yeah. in America, by the Fuck way. you, LA. Uh-huh. I see your 405 and I raise you an I-4. I-4. Merging on and I just turned to Amy and I asked you, how was your pedicure today? Oh, And you presented <laughs> the story <laughs> that I was... Mm-hmm. I literally had to instruct you to go into the glove compartment to get me napkins. I was crying so hard. I couldn't breathe. I was doubled over trying to merge into like standstill traffic and like I couldn't catch my breath. So Amy, why don't you share with everyone why I'm so obsessed with the pedicure you got on Saturday? I get to say you're obsessed. Yes. Because it's, I, I, this past couple of days have been like a fucking story, like in the middle of a meeting. It's so good. You guys, the weirdest looking thing happened at my pedicure on Saturday. All right. So first of all, I went to like not the best spa in Orlando. You did not. I walked up to the, to the Publix complex. Yeah. And went to the place that just says nails, you know, <laughs> on the marquee. Right. So I go in. I've been there before. There's a couple people in there that give bomb ass massages. You've said that. You've got like a 30 minute foot massage. For sure. Fuck, yes. And the chairs are really good in there. Yeah. Like really good massage Fun chairs. Stuff. Yeah, they, do, they do that weird thing where it like bubbles up your butt for a second. So and you're weird. like, am I, am I doing butt stuff? <laughs> anyway, I, I ask for a pedicure. I get put in the chair. This little old lady comes over and I'm like, all right, she might be good for a, a good foot massage. We'll uh-huh. see how this goes. I can't believe I'm telling this story. <laughs> anyway, she, she clearly speaks, she speaks zero English. I figured that out right away. Yeah. So we're communicating with hand gestures and nods. Yeah. Fine. You do you, I do me. Yeah. So she's she's giving me my pedicure. Things are going okay. And at one point, she needs to get up to go address something else in the salon. And she's wearing a pair of loafers. Uh I have come in wearing a pair of flip-flops. And I I didn't realize, but at some point during the first half of this pedicure, she had taken off her shoes. So when she needed to go do something else in the spa, she put shoes back on. And as she's walking away... I look at her feet, and she's wearing one loafer and one of my flip-flops. <laughs> That's so weird. It's so weird. Also, my guess is she was much smaller than you would probably have, like, a no, size actually, five. Her foot fit in my flip-flop. Okay. It did. But I'm like, oh, she's going to come back and be like, ha-ha. <laughs> like, point giggle. Yeah. Put my shoe back down. <laughs> but she seemed to not notice. And to continue the entire pedicure wearing one of my shoes. <laughs> so then we get to the end. <laughs> she does that thing where she puts the foamy between my toes yeah. and a foam flip flop on me. And I'm like, what? Am I going to have to tell this woman <laughs> to give me my shoe back? Yes. Yep. So, so she finishes and she's like, you dry. <laughs> and I was like... You have to give me back my shoe. <laughs> and she was like, what? Well, I mean, again, yes. we're, we're pointing and uh-huh. kind of making Just noise. Gesticulating. Gesticulating at each other. And I finally get her to notice. <laughs> She's been wearing my shoe for like an hour. <laughs> and a loafer. <laughs> I can't understand that. <laughs> 
I'm so glad it's your obsession. <laughs> it's so fucking funny. You guys, I go in public and weird shit happens to me when that's I'm like, alone in public. That's the funniest part. Like, when I'm in public, strangers are like, hey, by the way, I'm purchasing something for my husband. What do you think about this sweater? I'm like, oh, it's the color eyes does he have? Is he with brown hair? Like, I have those kind of stories. Ooh. Uh, appropriates my shoe. <laughs> So good. You have to give me my shoe back. But like I said, like the best part about hearing that story was like, I was like doubled over laughing, <laughs> crying. And I was just had purple mascara on. So like purple tears running down <laughs> my face, trying to drive. It was, was so good. good. I'm so glad to oh my God, I hope everybody else loved it as much as I did. I would love to say you had to be there, but you seem to take enough joy <laughs> it's fine. from just it's hearing the story. I'm glad that it translates. It so well. I had secondhand like nerves for you <laughs> listening to that story. Like, oh my god! And this is what Amy tells me. And now I have one flip flop. Like I was waiting for this story to go that route. <laughs> no, I wore her loafer home. So I couldn't say anything. No, I I made her take the shoe off. <laughs> so good. So Amy. While you continue to yes. talk, is there anything you want to share that you're obsessed with? <laughs> I, I do have an obsession. I feel like I'm going to nosedive this thing again. <laughs> because I am obsessed with that video. It's floating around on the internet, you guys. Like, check your social media or just search for it on YouTube. John Stewart. Yeah. Um, attended a Congress hearing with a group of um, first responders from 9-11, mm-hmm. speaking of national tragedies. Um who were there to, you know, testify their personal stories in order to get Congress to sign a bill for what I believe is extended um, healthcare, healthcare for, for veterans and first responders still suffering from, yep. from September 11th. And a very small, I mean, a, 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 a committee on Congress is, you know, yeah. a couple dozen um, representatives. But on this day, for these first responders... Only five Congress people showed up for this hearing. So John Stewart was there, former host of The Daily Show on oh. Comedy Central. He was there and clearly was going to give the key speech of all of this and then have the others there to testify. But he was so angry at the lack of attendance on the part of our United States Congress. That's he threw his speech out the window and read them an improv riot act. Oh, and I don't mean a funny improv, just... Off the cuff, he spoke so eloquently about um, these heroes, these national heroes, and how the Congress, those we've elected to protect and serve, and I know that's a cop thing, but to, um, you know, make the laws of this great land of the United States of America, couldn't be bothered to show up. I mean, yes, it's 18 years later, but you promised us in 2001 that you would always remember and honor, Mm -hmm. and you can't even fucking show up to this hearing to listen to them speak, who brought themselves down here from presumably New York City to Washington, D.C. to speak to you, and you couldn't come out of your office and sit on the panel. Um, I encourage anybody to watch that. I mean, left, right, whatever you are, because he did not give a political speech. He gave a shame on you, Congress yeah. speech to, um, we, you know, just like we promise that we will never forget our 49 angels and survivors and first responders in Orlando. You know, the the nation and the world should never forget those first responders yeah. from New York City as well. And it was very shameful of Congress. And John Stewart just so well put them in their place. I could never be that eloquent in my life. Mm-mm. He chokes up. He cries. I'm obsessed with it. I could watch yeah. it 20 more times. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to say never forget and you're going to wear the flag pin and you're going to have all of these, you know, get mad about people who are kneeling for an anthem and all of this stuff, but you can't go and show respect and mm-hmm. just hear these people, then yeah, you are like, not walking the walk that you want all of us to walk. One of the things John said was, I guarantee every single one of those empty seats up there put out a tweet we will never forget. Yep. But here they are not forgetting. Yep. It's not important enough for them to show up in person. It's so easy to tweet, but you have to show up yeah. and honor uh, those heroes. Absolutely. No, I agree. That's something important and not as comical as you losing a shoe. <laughs> not quite it. But the show is really taking us on an emotional journey I, so far. 18 I'm, minutes in. Right? I'm choked up as it is. I'm... Also allergies. Allergies, and I just laughed a lot, and so, like, <laughs> falling apart. But so speaking of <laughs> taking ourselves on a journey. And falling apart. And falling apart. 
guys, things are so weird right now in the world. So but, weird. like, obviously, you know, Amy and I always have questions and we're trying to figure it out. But this week, we are going to climb that pod kill, pod, high, podcast mountain. I really wanted to say pod hill, and I think that's where I got tripped up. Sure. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Jamais vu? Question mark? If you guys listened to last week's episode, whatever, you did. Who am I kidding? Of course you did. Anyway, this week, uh, we are so excited to, like, we got interested in a thing that we've never really given much thought to. Yeah. So it started with, I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts that I talk about on this show all the time, My Favorite Murder. And Georgia did her story last week, or maybe it was a couple weeks ago, and I listened to it late. Um, but she covered all of the deaths that have happened on Mount Everest, but couldn't cover all of them because there are upwards of 300. Yeah. And a lot of those bodies are still up on the mountain. But the reason she brought it up is because 2019 has been one of the deadliest years on the mountain in a really long time. So far, 19 climbers have died this year. And the last time that many people died in one singular, singular year, it was due to an avalanche uh-huh. in 2015. But this year, the weather for the climbing window, which we'll learn all about, um, has been really good. But 11 people have managed to die up there. Yeah. And then, you know, I was telling Erica, like, I think I'm really interested in this Everest thing. Like, 11 people have died. Georgia told all these interesting stories. Yeah. And you were like, oh, shit, I watched something about that. I did. I watched a Netflix documentary called The Summit, which is all about mountain climbing and this one year, 2008 is a different mountain. It's called K2. So it's mm-hmm. not Everest, but guys, it's fucking deadly too. It's and the it's, second highest summit in the world. Yeah. Everest, Everest is the tallest at 29,000 feet. Yeah. And so then there's K2 and that's what this documentary was about because it was the deadliest year on this mountain. And in like one fell swoop, like 11 people or some, 11? 11 died. 11 died yeah. during this climb. And I was telling you, like I randomly watched it and I learned so much about mountain climbing. One, I don't want to do it. No, thank you. Because it's, Fucking deadly. You're playing with your lives and other people's lives. Mm -hmm. And then all of this talk, this fucking photo shows up on the internet of a queue line to the summit of Everest of like 30 to 40 people waiting their turn to get up there to take the most Instagrammable photo in the entire world to prove that they climbed Everest. And this is the first time we'd ever seen a queue like this, which is insane. These... Mountains are delicate. Have that many people on the summit. We don't know if that's okay. Right. So Eric and I got interested and got ourselves informed on fucking climbing Everest. <laughs> so, okay. So we learned all about, like, what it really takes. So I went and watched the summit. Yeah. So, you know, in my, like, dumb brain, if you're climbing a mountain, it's, like, one steep climb over <laughs> thing and... Touch the top, kind of like rock climbing and belay down. Belay on. Belay on. Yes. No, that's not how it works. Climbing a mountain like Everest or like K2 is a several week expedition. expedition, You know, anywhere from 7 to 12 weeks depending on the weather. Yep. You start at the bottom, of course. You got to bring all your shit with you. Um, there's like these base camps along the way, especially these mountains that are, you know, so popular for climbers. They have kind of pretty established camps along the way. And so like, you know, you climb for a few days, you get to camp one, you chill there for a while, look at the weather, you get up to camp two. Camp three is where you're like, all right, are we going to fucking have the window or not? Yeah. And then camp four is where you're summiting or you're stopping there. And these camps are there because... You're climbing to elevations that your body has never been in before. By the time you get to camp two, your body needs some time to adjust. Just the oxygen levels are a little different. It's mm-hmm. cold. Like you said, they really need to test the conditions. Do they need to do a tie line? Like, what do they have to do to get up there? That's why it takes months. Yeah, you have to acclimate. And there's no TV or cell phones. So, like, the fuck are you doing? No, because there are cell phones now. There are now, but yeah. It's crazy. Like, people are Skyping at the summit. We'll get to that. Yes. We'll get to it. Um, so yeah, so, and then like I learned watching the summit and listening to the podcast about Everest and it's particularly Everest this year, I learned that there's a thing called the death zone. Uh huh. So between camp four and the peak of the mountain or the summit, there is this area known as the death zone because 
when you enter it, there's so little oxygen yep. and the elevation is so high that your body starts to die. So it's a death race. I get to the top and I get back down <coughs> until my Sorry. body is finished dying. Yeah. And every step you take is the hardest step you've ever done in your entire life. And because you have a lack of oxygen in your brain, you're starting to lose true critical thinking skills. And there's nowhere on earth you need to have all of your critical thinking skills than at the top of the tallest fucking coldest mountain on earth. And that's where you find and you hear and you see in the summit. And this is where it was a great documentary to tie into what's going on at Everest right now. They talk about how during this deadly climb on the summit on K2, people would just be like standing there, drop their rope and just fall off the mountain. And like, yeah. they didn't even try to stop themselves. Like fun. their brain just wasn't functioning and made one small move. And these people were watching their friends slide down the mountain and die. And they like, can't stop them because they'll go with them. Yeah. Well, because they can be safety chained to yep. each other or they're all hanging onto the same safety rope. And if someone goes crazy enough to cut the rope or make the rope come loose, anyone that's holding onto it literally for life is going to go down. Yeah. And this delirium can happen when you're cut off of oxygen and you're so physically exerted. Yes. The big thing I learned from the summit and from these podcasts too is that Getting to the top of the mountain is way easier than getting back down yes. the mountain. It's like you have this adrenaline in you to get to the top. And then once you do, like you don't repel down. Yeah. It's just as hard to come down, but now the adrenaline's gone. And that's where like the full like physical training that you should have gone through to climb to the top of Everest uh-huh. should help you get back down. But that's where the most deaths and accidents occur is actually on the decline. Yeah. And what we saw and like learned in these podcasts is that people have been training for these for so long. Think about the Boston Marathon. You can't even enter that unless you've gone and done a race that was qualifying. I mean, it's a hard, it's hard work to get in there. 100%. And back in the day, it was like that. You couldn't climb Everest without proving that you've done other mountains and you have experience and you know what you're doing. And now it turns out any schmo with 30 grand can climb the mountain. So, okay. So I listened to Skim This, the episode from May 28th. Now that picture that got so popular of like seeing that queue of hundreds going up to the summit of Everest was taken on May 23rd. So this year in 2019, they had actually a really solid summit window, which is why so many people were going at the same time. That was like the perfect, beautiful day to climb it. Yeah. Um, so that picture came out on May 23rd. So a bunch of podcasts the last week of May and the first week of June were covering that queue on Everest and asking these questions. So here's some of the number stuff that I learned. So uh, first of all, 11 deaths have been recorded on the mountain this year due to not natural, like natural disasters. Yeah. People fucking dying. Um, <clears throat> the Nepalese government handed out 381 permits to climb. So you can't just get up there on no. your own. You do need a permit. On the Chinese side of the mountain, they actually cap permits. Yeah. But the Nepal government is much closer to a third world country than China. And so... Over the last few years, more and more tourists have been applying for these permits. It is incredibly lucrative. So off these 381 permits, Nepal made $5.2 million for the government. Now, on top of that, private citizens are making money because Sherpas charge. These expedition companies charge, not to mention hotels and restaurants in the area, serving very rich tourists because it starts at 30, kind of. To get halfway up the mountain, you're not going to summit for $30,000. No. To get a company to take you to the summit, you're going to be about $70,000. And for a Mac Daddy tour, you're going to pay hundred to $130,000. It's insane. It's insane. So I learned that on Skim This, and I got more information from a podcast called Today in Focus. That was a is, good one. Yeah, which is from The Guardian, and even more from a podcast called The Signal. And their, their titles were so funny. So... Today in Focus, the title of the episode was Death, Carnage, and Chaos. Yeah. And the signals was called Rush Hour at Everest. Yes. So, yeah. So, like, on the on Today in Focus, they talked to this climber and um, filmmaker named Elias Sekele. I think he's Canadian. But he was he made the summit on May 23rd, the day that photo was taken. Yeah. Like, it's likely he's in that photo. And this is his eighth trip to Mount Everest. So he got his first summit, which is like 
watching these documentaries, you learn yeah. like you don't always get to the top. No. A lot of times you have to turn back and you have to have the humility and the know your own body and to know the weather, to know when it's good to go back. Because when you're stupid and you push through, you die. You die. Yeah, there's a moral moral? There's like the climbers, um like oath, like oath. That like, yeah. Um, basically, they say like no summit is worth a life. Mm-hmm. You not it's like yours. A code of ethics. Thank you. It's a climber's code. Um, they talk about like if somebody in your group isn't doing well, you have to turn around. Mm-hmm. You cannot let them go. You cannot leave them behind. No summit is worth it. That mountain will be there, but you might not. And that's a huge thing that I'm sure people in that queue might not have known this code of ethics. Right. And so, well, this guy describes it's his eighth trip. He turned back twice. He summited for the first time in 2010. But this year in 2019, he describes, like, he's in that queue, right, getting up to the top. And first of all, he saw two Sherpas bringing a dead person down as he's still ascending. Jesus. And then the next thing he saw about 45 minutes later is two Sherpas bringing down a man who was delirious. He had been in the death zone and he lost it. He's screaming. He's singing. He's lost his mind. And he can't, he would never get himself down the mountain on his own. He would die. Yeah. If it weren't for those Sherpas that he paid uh, to take care of him, and they pulled him and took him down the mountain. And then he describes what I think is the goriest, is he's still climbing after he sees those two things, and you get a point where somebody had passed away on the mountain, but they were anchored, or they were um, attached to this anchor point between two of the safety lines. Yeah. So that entire row of people that you see climbing to the summit have all stepped over his dead frozen body on the safety rope on the oh. way up, including him. He said he was going up the rope, and there the guy was. You stepped over him. And the way he said it was, like, when someone's already dead on the mountain, you know, what What are you going to do? Yeah. So you you got to keep moving on, and it's part of this climber's code. He said if you see somebody struggling yes. and you step over them, that to him is a, cr- a crime. Yeah. You know, but... You, you should stop and help that person. But if somebody's already dead, you can't risk your life to try to revive them on the side of the mountain with no resources yeah. or to try to pull them down when you're in the death zone. You got to do you. Yeah, and with that death zone, you can't climb out of it too fast, too. Like, when you're yeah. descending, because you're slowly going down the mountain, if you get out of that death zone, you might be feeling fine, but you hit a lower altitude and, like, too much oxygen in your body mm-hmm. can cause you to have a stroke. Or I mean, there are so many fucking fires you were playing with literally with your own health and life and others well have you ever jumped into the deep end of a pool and then get the crazy headache when you just drop 12 feet too fast you know what i mean yeah think about that on the side of a mountain but now you don't just like buoy yourself back up to the pool and wade yeah you're like on the side of a goddamn mountain when your toes are frostbitten off oh my god you've got to try to manage that head rush how do they pee up there I think they're just, everyone's going inside their suit. You think? It freezes to you, and I think that's uh, the least of their concerns, to be honest. I feel like hydrated as fuck, probably. Yeah, they're not showering. No, no. When you watch the summit, like, you don't see them, like, you know? taking showers. Like, you're just disgusting it's, it's for below 20. Like, I guess what I mean. You can't get no cold. But, like, you're dirty. Yeah, for sure. I don't want to be outside in the cold longer than 20 minutes. I don't want to be outside in the cold ever. Yeah, that's why so we live in Florida. This is why I've never been interested in mountain climbing before right now. No, like, I used to I do, don't want to go. No, I used to do rock climbing in high school, but this is a completely different world. So you were talking about, you know, the tragedy of having to climb over dead bodies. You know, we both listened to the My Favorite Murder episode, and I even did some Googling because I'm a sick person. What did you find? There, so we both learned about it, but guys, there is a certain point in the summit area when you're gutting up there, and there appears to be a climber kind of on his side, tucked into what looks like a little side cave on the it's mountain. It's a little personal cave. A little personal cave, laid down on his side, arms wrapped around him like a blanket, tucked over him, and his bright neon green boots. So... Green Boots, as he is called, um, has been on that side of the mountain since roughly 1997 mm-hmm. in that position, and it's like a landmark. Yeah. Once you hit him, you know you're, get, you're, you're getting close. Yep. And After you leave Camp 4 and before you get to the summit, it's like, oh, you turn left here at Green Boots. Yes. So I was just doing a quick little Google because I, I was like, I need to know what it looks like. <laughs> and it really just looks like somebody sleeping on the side of the mountain, mm-hmm. you know, but it is so bizarre to think 
about that. Like there are people who have been up there for that long. So, um, it was like, it was a lengthy article that I was reading and it was all about this like journalist going back to finding who Green Boots is. And they do believe it's this gentleman who lived in town and tracked down his mom, then kind of heard from their family and friends and how he was not told his family he was going up a different mountain, but really went up Everest. And so climbed, right? Um, or was he with an expedition? He had, and he'd been doing it plenty of times. He's local, mm-hmm. but, um, it's just so tragic to think you've got family members that go up a mountain and then maybe you never see them again. You can't have a proper burial and that's really hard. Right. Well, and here's the thing, like they do that to themselves. So of course you're going to miss and mourn your loved one that perished on the side of the mountain. But theoretically, you know, those are natural accidents when someone dies on a mountain because nobody should be trying to climb Everest without the proper training and yeah. the physical fitness and having scaled some lower peaks. Yeah. You know, there are, there are mountains all over the world that you can climb before you go to Everest. I mean, it's colloquialism, pop culture saying, like, that's my Everest. Yep. You know, when you say, like, something is going to be really hard for me, like, I'm going to run a marathon. That is my, my Everest. Everest. You know, and they say that on purpose because it's really hard to climb Everest. Yes. And so going back to this whole rush hour thing at Mount Everest in this queue of people, the problem is anybody with $100,000 can pay these Sherpas yeah. to, ta- if, to take you up the mountain. So there are all these completely inexperienced climbers attempting to climb Mount Everest as like... It's, it's basically this this podcast called The Signal, which is an Australian yeah. podcast. Um, their episode, Rush Hour at Everest, dived into all of this. And they talked to a guy named Salmon, uh, Simon Balderstone, who's um, got a lot of experience in this. And he talks about how it's essentially a tourist trap to yeah. climb Mount Everest anymore. And he said, like, the, the reason we have these long lines of people is that you can even pay, like, a budget expedition strip a company to take you up there even more. Like think about, you know, you always want to fly British Airways, but if you can't afford that, you're taking a Southwest yes. or whatever it is. And we figure that out in the air and we know we're getting less luxuries. But if you pay the budget company to climb you, to take you up Everest, they don't have the same physical fitness requirements. And like you said, you know, here you can't just show up and run the Boston Marathon. You got to have, you have to prove that you've done all these other marathons and that you belong in this elite group of marathon runners. And it used to be that way on Everest and really in mountain climbing around the world. Like it's again, the climber's code of ethics. You don't just go climbing Everest. But truly, that's the problem, is you or I, with enough money, could pay someone to take us up there. Look, I ain't got no fucking business climbing Mount Everest, but I could with enough coin. You know what? What? I could go to Disney's Animal Kingdom Park and ride Expedition Everest and be just as happy. Be totally fine. Small plug for Dak. So this guy, Simon, on The Signal called it bucket list clientele. Yeah. Like, these are people with enough money and who could take seven weeks off work or whatever it is to climb the mountain. So, and, like, they mentioned it on the My Favorite Murder episode, to be that douchebag at a cocktail party. It's like, yeah, I've climbed Everest. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Look, it's hard. Oh, when I climb Everest, I have all my toes, guys. You mad, bro? You mad? (laughs) But, as he said, they... It also, there's this false sense of security about it because you can get cell phone signal up there now. Yeah. You can take a picture and Instagram yourself at the top of Everest now. You can even Skype your family and be like, yeah, yeah, I'm at the summit. All good. But again, like you'll never get there on your own. You, You have to pay these Sherpas to take you. Yeah. And the fact is mother nature will always rule. 100%. So like it looks like it's easy because all you have to do is have enough money and you can go. But you never know when the avalanche is coming. And he talked about how, you know, that long line of people all holding onto the safety rope. One thing happens and that rope gets cut. You got 40 people flying down that mountain. Yeah. And then the other sick thing with these rich people is they're fucking narcissists. A lot of them, right? So like they know that they have no mountain climbing ability. But they're just going to pay money and, you know, it's like a Trump. Like, Trump probably thinks he can climb Everest. Well, he is the fittest. You know what I mean? He is the fittest president. (laughs) 
don't know if you saw Obama without his shirt on, though. Okay. <laughs> they're the ones making it even more dangerous because they refuse to not summit. Yes. Where, like, the smart climbers will realize, like, wow, the that weather's not go. right. Yeah. I'm not feeling well. I got to come back. These people are like, I paid a hundred grand. I'm going to stand at the top of the world. Absolutely. And then, you know, 11 people died this year. Yeah. And these podcasts were all alluding to, it's because these fucking trash people uh-huh. are out there with no business. Yeah. So that goes to show, like, are we all trash people? I know we both saw that recently they did a cleaning crew of the mountain, if you will. This mountain that everybody needs to summit to be one with nature and do all of this amazingness and look at me. They pulled down two tons of garbage off the side of Mount Everest, a few bodies, hundreds of oxygen tanks, Mm -hmm. clothes, shoes, bottles. And it's like, hey, monsters, if you brought it up, fucking bring it down. It's a wonder of the world, you fucking assholes. You don't litter. We don't go to Niagara Falls and... I was going to say throw yourself off in a barrel, but people actually do do that. that. (laughs) (laughs) But you can't throw your trash... Yeah. So one of the other things that we learned on on the summit on these podcasts is like on Everest, there are really five to 12 days out of the year where the weather conditions may be right enough for you to climb the summit. Yeah. So all these people are going and they may or may not make it based on weather and based on their assholeness. But these hundreds of people will try it, right? Yeah. But they all are doing it in late May. That five to 12 days a year is late May to early June. So now that it's mid-June, all the tourists have left. Mm-hmm. And now it's the locals. It's the Sherpas having to reclimb the mountain. Yeah. And take down fucking tourist trash. Trash. Trash humans. Because we are trash humans. And, like, we just... Like, I was making the joke earlier. Like, if I had $100,000, somebody would actually let me climb Mount Everest. Yes. But what if, like, I had $100,000 and I paid the Olympic committee and, like, I'm a fucking Olympic gymnast now. Like, yeah. let me show up in a leotard and do a couple flips. Sure. Like, Breaking an arm. It's fine. Th- yeah, but that's not how it works. No. And it shouldn't. I should not be able to buy my way into being an Olympic athlete. Yeah. And somebody should not be able to buy their way into climbing Everest when they don't have any business climbing Everest and they don't respect it. If yes. you're willing to litter on Everest, you have no business being there. Absolutely. That's that mountain code of ethics. Mm-hmm. But, it, I mean, it's also, I think Jurassic Park could be used for everything. <laughs> just because you should doesn't mean, just because you can, can. doesn't, doesn't mean, mean you should. should. Just because you can pay to climb Everest does not mean you should do that. You have no fucking business. Stay home. Right. And it's Watch like, the summit on Netflix. And it's like, or you Amazon. Know, rich people narcissism. And they find themselves so invincible. Yeah, and it's not just Everest. There are other places that we are completely ruining. As I saw on BuzzFeed, because this summit photo sparked, like, a a listicle. Like, here's a beautiful photo of somebody from, like, the summit of Everest. Okay, but in real life, off of Instagram, here's this queue of people. Here's so-and-so on the Great Wall of China. Isn't it beautiful? Pull back. Full of people. And trash, probably. And trash. My dad went and saw the Great Wall of China, and he was mortified. He was like, I had it. He's like, I was there, took the photo, and bolted. He's like, it was so uncomfortable. There were people milling about everywhere, smoking, trash. It was disgusting. I hear that's what it's like at the base of the Eiffel Tower, too. Yeah. Like, everyone has that, anyone that's been to Paris has that gorgeous Instagram photo of them in the lawn. Yeah. With the tower behind. But I hear to be there in person, it's bums, it's trash, it's... Like, a disgusting place to be. Like, you just manage to get your picture and you leave. You don't linger. No. So, like, people can just not respect the wonders of the world anymore. That's why we barely have the coral reefs. Because of sunscreen. (laughs) Yeah. Like, literally, there's going to be, like, Trash Island floating on the summit of Everest. Right. I think about Trash Island a lot. It really bothers me. Like, more than straws. Like, yeah. plastic straws, I feel like, are a less Everest than Trash Island. Trash, Trash Island, Island is an Everest. Like, maybe plastic straws are K2. Yes. Trash Island is Everest. We've got to tackle that. But here's the thing. And it goes back to us all being trash. There's nothing wrong with straws. Everything is wrong with people because they cannot put their straws where they fucking belong. That is... Straws are fine. Right. Straws are completely fine. Classic. We suck. 
We suck. Humans suck. You can dispose of a straw properly and it will never wind up through a turtle's nose. Yes. But human beings have become so disrespectful Uh of this place that Mother Nature gave us to live on, or God, or whomever you think it is, um, that we have respect for nothing anymore. Yeah. Humans are trash. 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 (laughs) Oh my God. Erica. Amy. If like... Like, you don't want to climb Everest. Absolutely not. First of all, I want to keep all my fingers and all my toes. And you know, I, I have, like bathing. I have big ears oh, that went girl. out. Like, I would lose these puppies. Oh, yeah, they're out. First thing, like at camp two, like ears oh, froze off. Yep. For yeah. sure. But, like, if you had a gun to your head. Yes. And somebody said to you. But, like, gun control. Like, yeah, yeah. gun control. <laughs> um, you need to climb out Everest. Uh-huh. You, need to, you need to commit to that as a person with zero training. Or... Uh, in order for me to not shoot you in the head, you need to, um, let's say, quit your job and make your career at McDonald's. Oh, wait. That's not nice. I don't want to put down McDonald's yeah. workers. You do what you do. Like, um, basically, work a job you hate forever. Which would you rather do? Work a job I hate forever. Really? Rather than climb Mount Everest? Yeah. All right. You don't I, want to go to a cocktail party with your shitty coworkers and be like, yeah, climb Everest. <laughs> no. I don't think so. Okay. I've worked crap jobs that I did not enjoy, and I still was able to survive. Okay, so maybe you can't come with this too super fast, but, like, what would you climb Everest for rather than not to do? I think if somebody was, like... A family member of yours is sick and the cure is at the top of Mount Everest. <gasps> that's a good one. I would climb Everest for I think that. that if it was something that was deeply, like, selfless, that mm-hmm. you... That's that's way better than the way I was trying to put it. Well, you're welcome. Okay. You win. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, I guess the moral of the story, guys, is, like, if... Is that if, I'm not a trash human, turns out. <laughs> you're not a trash human. If you worked really hard and you got yourself to the Olympics, be in the Olympics. Yeah. Don't buy an Olympic medal. If you worked really hard and you know what you're doing on the side of a mountain, go climb Everest. Go climb it. You Tell me all you. about it. You do you. Uh, don't be a trash person. Also, Nepalese government, like, don't be so thirsty. All right, let's talk about our pop-ups this week. Yes. Okay. We have something kind of exciting to share in the podcast pop-up arena. We are so proud. The proudest little parents. Um... Guys, one of our best friends, you know, love, that we lovingly refer to as best friend of the pod, Beth. All one word. Mm-hmm. Best friend of the pod, Beth. Yeah, it's like a hashtag. Hashtag. So she, in a weird way, was featured on somebody else's podcast this week. Yeah. So long story short, we um, all worked together back in the day at Disney, and Beth got this amazing opportunity. She was selected after an awesome round of interviews to go to Tokyo Disneyland to represent the Jungle Cruise skippers from Walt Disney World. Yes. And on this podcast, Come Rain or Shine with Dan Cockrell, who is a previous Walt Disney World executive, he talks all about making dreams come true with big ideas. So that's the show title. Mm-hmm. And they talk all about this huge marketing campaign that was here at Walt Disney World called Year of a Million Dreams. Oh, I remember and that. we all remembered it. We had a year of a million drinks. We <laughs> survived, guys. <laughs> we so he talks all about on this podcast, like I said, Come Rain or Shine episode, Making Dreams Come True with Big Ideas, how as an operational general manager, he was able to work with marketing teams and what Year of a Million Dreams looked like here at Walt Disney World, but then went on to say that one of his favorite experiences of his time at Disney was being on the selection committee where Beth was selected to go to Tokyo Disneyland. And he gave her, like, so much love and just, like, talked about how she is the kind of cast member that they wanted to exhibit to the world. Yes. The top-notch cast member. This is what they want all cast members to be. And how Beth just fucking crushed it in her selection process. And so, like, Beth herself wasn't interviewed for the show. But an ex-executive of Walt Disney World went on and and didn't even know that, or didn't, like, Beth didn't know this was going to happen. 
somebody else that she knows heard it because they listen to this podcast regularly and sent it to her. Yeah. She sent it to us and like, shit, we couldn't be more proud of oh our Oh my baby. gosh. And then you come to find out that Dan wasn't just sharing this story so effortlessly on the podcast. It's one of his favorite stories to tell when he's at speaking engagements. So the, so like, cool. so many people that he is talked to know about our little Bethy and how she jumped on the mic and without any, up. yeah, with, out any questions, crushed it. So we just loved hearing that, and we're so proud of Beth, and yay her. Good. So definitely check it out and learn about the year of a million dreams, too. We at 100%, but we love you, B. That's so exciting. Yeah. What are you obsessed? Or what's your oh. pop-up? <laughs> Did I just go back 45 minutes on the show? No, what's your pop-up? Deja vu. <laughs> um, so, you know, we kind of figured, or I thought that, you know, with June being – Pride Month, and mm-hmm. today being the third anniversary of Pulse, that would be a good idea to kind of share a podcast from the 99% Invisible, which is a great podcast, mm-hmm. the story of Stonewall. Oh, that's, a, so that's a thing. It's a big thing, guys. And if you don't know about the story of Stonewall, episode 218, does Remembering Stonewall. So this is originally like a documentary broadcast from 1989 that they truly just cut and play. So you can hear the stories of people who were there at this time. So the Stonewall Inn was a bar in Greenwich on 7th, I believe. And it was really a place for a lot of gay men, lesbian women, um, drag queens. The word trans... um, Trans hadn't happened yet, so sure. there's a lot of words that you hear in the episode that are like in 2019. Like, you're like, it used to say be that. the LGB community, then it was the LGBT, now it's yeah. LGBTQ, now it's LGBT. Yeah, with X, know, whatever the letter configuration of it, it was, then they were there, right? So you know, it's the 50s and 60s in New York City. Um, it is a crime to be a man caught in a woman's dress. It is. Unacceptable to be out in the workplace. It's a fireable offense. <sighs> it is Jeez. insane. But in um, 1969, one night at the Stonewall Inn, and I will preface this that there were moral police back in the day. Mm-hmm. Police that would go around and like you know look for undercover um, gambling rings, you know, mm-hmm. or things like that. Which still today, like yeah, arrest dog fighting, all of that kind of stuff. But one of the things they could arrest you for was being gay. Terrible. So they Horrible. were come into the Stonewall Inn and just literally get the paddy wagon, pulling people out, arresting them. And one night, they just were so tired. And as they were pulling people out, a lot of the men who were dressed in drag were being arrested. One guy grabbed his high heel and just knocked a police officer out, and then riots ensued. Fantastic. Really, like, fought back. But, you know, and this was... They say that the dates are 28th to the 29th of June because it started on the 20th and went into the wee hours. Sure. I mean, it is a deep riot. It is the turning point for equality and gay rights in the America. Beginning of the movement. True beginning of the movement. It is so important to hear these people's stories and to not hear a podcast host talk or do anything. If you're interested in why Pride Month is in June, this is why. You really start to understand all those stories, and it's just so important that if you support Pride and you support equality, that you absolutely must know how it started. Yes. So I really suggest episode 218, Remembering Stonewall, from 99% Invisible. I think I'd like to go back and listen to that. Yeah. Um, I also have, a, like, a gay-leaning podcast yeah. for my pop-up this week. I actually have two. I'm going to talk this one, and then I have one that really I know you're going to be so stoked about. Okay. But um, the podcast itself is not a, you know, a gay rights or gay pride podcast. It's a podcast that you actually told me about. It's called uh-huh. Burning in Hell. Yes. Um, with Hannah Burner. Yep. Who is a cast member on the Bravo show Summer House this season, which, look, they had a dynamite season. They had their finale last week. Carl? Just saying that. But Hannah Burner, she works for Betches.com, which we love. Um, but this girl, I started following her on social media. Like, she's just rad as shit. Yeah. She was amazing on the show. She's rad. I listened to her podcast for the first time this week. And her guest was a good personal friend of hers named Jeff Perla. And he has an Instagram account that's super popular called The Traveling Bum. Yes. So it's his Instagram account is all just pictures of naked butts. Bums. Which, you know, free the hashtag free the nipple. You can't put a nipple on Insta, but a naked boot ski is okay. 
Anywho, but his, you know, his travel in bum account is about acceptance, body acceptance, acceptance of who you are inside. Um, and he had such an interesting personal story to tell because he started that Insta handle in 2015, mm-hmm. I believe it was. And he is gay, but didn't actually come out in his personal life until he until 2017. So for two years, he was anonymous running the Travel and Bum Insta account. And finally, a website, like a, a Radar Online yeah. website, wanted to do a piece on him and his account. And he was like, well, I'd like to do the piece, but I don't really know how we're going to angle this because I'm not out. And that's why I'm anonymous on my site. And this website was like, dude, it is 2017. Right. What are you doing? Come out. Yes. Come out already. And so he talked about how he was kind of in that breaking point where he had to make a decision. And he did decide to come out. And one of the reasons that he hadn't previously was, you know, conservative family upbringing. He was worried about being disowned. He was worried about all of the years that he had tried to pray the gay away from himself. You know, because he was in his early to mid-20s in 2017 when he had to make this decision. And talks about how he knew he was gay, you know, Around 12, 13, he started to realize that he was different Uh and he could assign gay to it by 15 to 16. But given his conservative upbringing, he so desperately not, didn't want to be gay and tried to bargain with God to get it out of him and tried to, you know, recondition himself to be straight. And in uh, 2015 to 2017, he wasn't ready to come out to his loved ones yet. He had accepted for himself that he was gay, but yeah. he was living in the closet. Yeah. And so um, he talks about that moment of coming out to his parents in 2017 and then coming out, you know, to the world yeah. via this piece that they did on him for his Instagram account. And they just, you know, I had so much respect for his story and his journey uh-huh. and for sharing it. And he talked about other people's journeys. Also, I will say this podcast was like 100% NSFW, not suitable for work. I mean, they are talking about butt sex, blowjobs, yes. fingers in all orifices of Get one's it. body. Get so, it. I mean, it is, it's a lot of really body crazy talk. and But then like layered around this man's like true acceptance and coming out story, which I was really touched by. Yeah. I thought it was really cool to hear a chat cast that made me laugh and then almost made me cry and made yeah. me interested in this, you know, new person and care about them. And, um, I, I have had several of my, my gay friends not share with me for the first time ever, but, you know, share their coming out stories yeah. with me. And I always find it so touching and I'm always so proud of them as they're telling it, mm-hmm. you know, I, I hope that as we continue to move down the progressive path, which, yeah. Even though there's a bunch of asshole bigots out in the world, overall, I really do believe we're becoming a more progressive, open um, nation and world. And, you know, anytime someone shares something so personal, like their coming out story, like I, I just really try to remember to be so grateful. And for him to do it on the podcast was really touching. So burning in hell this week. Nice. And then super quick. Yeah. Do you remember you listened to the Netflix like compatible podcast? Uh-huh. You can't make this up. Yeah. When you were um, listening about Evil Genius. Oh yeah. They put out an abducted in plain sight episode last <gasps> month, and you must listen because oh the director of the documentary is their guest. Oh. So she talks about all the things that she had to cut, and some of them are fucking bananas, and like how the the Bergdolds of family like, really are, because she sat in her living room and talked to them. She goaded the story out of mom and dad about sleeping Isn't with... Isn't she a sister? The, no, the documentarian is not a sister. Or the, the director of it oh, is not okay. a sister. The sister is in the in the documentary, but she didn't do the documentary for Netflix. Not for Netflix, anyway. She got wasn't it. involved in that fucking book they did. Oh, God. All right, I'm definitely checking that out. I'm so excited. Yes, and I'm going to check out um, 99% Invisible. Perfect. And we hope you guys enjoyed checking out our latest episode of Podcast Rewind. Look, climb your mountain, but leave Everest alone. Okay? Uh, yeah, but you can climb IG and Twitter mm-hmm. and find us at Podcast RWD. Like, subscribe, five-star review, 
share it with your friends, give it to your dad for Father's Day. We do not care. <laughs> Our thirst honestly knows no bounds. Slay it when you do climb the summit, even though you don't deserve to. Exactly. Please last exactly. podcast rewind from the summit of Mount <laughs> But guys, most importantly, don't be trash people. Do not. And be kind. And rewind. Bye, guys. Bye.